Deer Sparrows podcast. Uh, this week we have a very special guest. Her name is Morgan. Say hello, Hi. Morgan. Hi, guys. So uh, I am super excited to have Morgan on the show today. So we're continuing with our authentic series, and I'll get to what our main topic is. But I kind of want to share uh, the cool story of how Morgan and I know each other first to introduce her properly. So Morgan and I were in Girl Scouts together. It was like kindergarten or first grade. Yeah, yeah. We were like little. <laughs> um, we sold like cookies and stuff together and did all these things. And her mom was a scout leader, which was awesome. She lived like... You only, like, you lived, like, six blocks from me. Not far. Yeah, not far at all. So, we were buddies growing up, and then I ended up going to a different school, seventh grade. So then, fast forward 15 years, haven't seen each other, and I am working, honestly, the worst job of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I was working at a bank, um, depressed out of my mind, but then this ray of sunshine walks in, and it's Morgan, and I was like, wait a second. I think I know you, and you were like, wait, Callie, and I was like, Morgan, and I was like, it's been 15 years, so uh, we got coffee and hung out and caught up for 15 years, and then, um, yeah, just kind of like picked up our friendship where we left off, which is yeah, awesome. Just like bloomed, like, yeah. no time to pass. Exactly, so kind of a cool story, and I think that's like such a God story. Yeah. Because it was weird, like, the whole situation, like, I was even working there, and then you were coming in for the job you were working at to just get, like, yeah. change. Yeah, so in the process of us, like, catching up after so long, um, we actually found that, like, even though we hadn't talked in 15 years, we actually have a lot of things in common, and um, some good things, some harder things, and so this week, uh, in our, like, search and our um, hope of authenticity, we were talking about eating disorders, so um, unfortunately, Morgan and I both have dealt with eating disorders, but we're going to kind of wrap it up in the end with the blessing of how we can be in support of each other of that, which is really cool. Um, but that's kind of what we're going to be talking about authentically and openly about, um, because this series is to be an inspiration to people to be honest, be vulnerable, and be authentic about the things going on in their lives, because just because profess to be a Christian or just because you are professing to be a functional person and human uh, doesn't mean that life is always great and there's a lot of things that we all have to battle and deal with in life and I think knowing that you're not alone is really important so I'll pass the mic over to Morgan for a second so um, you want to give like a little bit about yourself and then kind of where you feel comfortable about sharing um, maybe the beginnings of your eating disorder. Sure. Um, so I am an only child. Uh, grew up in the suburbs. Nice little family. Um, overall, a really great childhood. Um, I'm an artist. I love to create. Um, that's always been a big passion of mine. Though for the last couple of years, that kind of went to the wayside. I think that was part of my ED. Um, but I guess it all starts when I was about 13 is when I started realizing that I was just anxious, like, all the time about tons of things, socially anxious, um, everything, like, perfectionist. And then when I started dating my first boyfriend in high school, um, I, I guess that's when my eating disorder really, like, developed. Um, I... You know, it was weird. I'd never had a, been in a relationship before. I've never, like, talked to any boys. It was, like, all new for me. 
Um, and, you know, I had some experiences as a child that I think made me very um, anxious and kind of hesitant about being, like, close to other people. Um, so I think that's what really triggered it. Um, and my eating, my anxiety kind of manifested into an eating disorder. Um, I suffered with bulimia specifically, um, which now being in recovery, I understand there's lots of different spectrums of eating disorders. Um, it's not just one or the other. It can morph like through you know your journey with that, um, which is really interesting. Um, but I think it all started. I mean, you never expect to find yourself in that position, right? Yeah. Like I grew up, you know, I knew what eating disorders were, kind of. Um, and when I started, you know, it was always like this anxious, like, I'm so nervous, I feel like I could be sick. And then it was like, I would be feel better if I were sick. And then it was like, the only way for me to feel better is if I make myself sick. Um, and I knew that it was like, not normal. But it didn't really register to me, like, it was like this denial of, like, well, no, you're just nervous. Like, this isn't really a permanent thing. And then over the years, it became, like, a daily thing. I mean, by the time I was in college, I was purging, like, every day, multiple times a day. Um, and it was always this, like, denial of, like, well, this, is, this isn't normal, but I could stop if I wanted to. Or this isn't normal, but I don't have a disorder. Um, and I think it, for me, it was the drive for me was a coping mechanism to deal with feelings that I didn't want to feel. Um, that anxiety and like, you know, feelings of like shame and kind of confusion from like past trauma. Um, so the for me, like purging was a way to get rid of those feelings temporarily mm -hmm. to like rid myself of all of that. And then I also felt like a lot of shame and like worthlessness and it was almost like a punishment in a way, which sounds weird. I don't know if everyone can relate to that, but that's kind of what it was for me. Um, no, I totally get that. Yeah. The root word of mine was like lack of worth. Right. Yeah. I think that's a big, a big problem or a big, you know, center for eating disorders. Yeah. Um, and it's not all about body image. I mean, it is. That's a big part of it. I think that has to do with the worthless feeling because you also get a lot of, like, reinforcement from society about, like, that is your value. Um, and if you already don't value yourself for whatever reason, that's going to hit you really hard. And um, so, you know, not only was purging really a relief for me, but, like, binging. Like, I just would eat to comfort myself. Um, to, like, an excess. Like, just, like, uncomfortable. Like, I'm not even enjoying this. Um but then I would feel all this guilt about being so out of control and also guilt about, you know, oh my gosh, you just ate all of that. Um, you just ate a whole pizza by yourself. Like, what the heck? Um, and so, you know, it was also related to, like, oh my gosh, like my weight, my body image. And purging for me also meant, like, working out excessively. So I've had periods of time where, like, my, my eating disorder started as bulimia and then, um, my senior year of high school had broken up with my boyfriend and I started, I stopped like purging and binging and I started restricting a lot, but I would work out like excessively, like two or three times a day. And that was like, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was like a kind of purging for me. Um, so 
that was kind of, I guess, the mark of my disorder. For me, it was all about, like, purging and trying to get rid of these feelings. And mm-hmm. I think um, the root of, like, you know, all different eating disorders, like, the mechanism is different, um, but you're kind of, it's all after the same things. Um, and I shouldn't feel like I, I desperately, I desperately wanted help, but I didn't really want it. Like, I, I didn't want anyone to know because then I would, they would make me get help and I wasn't ready to do that. I wasn't ready to, just, like, face my demons. Um, but I also didn't have the courage or, like, the ability to ask anyone for help. And so this was kind of, like, my cry for help. And it's, like, twisted and, like, backwards because, like, I was hoping someone would notice, but I was terrified that they would. Um, that totally relates to that. Yeah. And, um, and I want to get into next like the point where you realize that you really desperately needed help and then into your recovery um but I thought we'd go back and forth and and so I'll share all mine I'm so proud of you thank you for being so vulnerable um hearing your story like I relate on so many so many spectrums of it I was about 15 or 16 when mine started um and there's not exactly like a pinpoint day that I can look at it and be like, this is the moment which it started. I think there was a lot of things in the avalanche. Um, and I've mentioned on the podcast before, um, I was molested twice when I was 14 and when I was 15. And I was very terrified. Um, it made to feel terrified that if I told my parents about it, um, that the person who did it would... Either, like, I was terrified I would be killed or he would kill them or, like, there's all these, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that as an adult, I'm like, that was so dumb. Why did, I, why did I believe that? But I was 14, you know? Um, and so I think from that aspect, there was this kind of idea of, um, kind of, I, there was a shame and kind of, like, this hidden, like, I need to hide um, and hide away. And there was also an aspect of, there are so many things out of my control that I don't have a say in, so I wouldn't be able to control something. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the lack of worth, like entirely the lack of worth, gosh. And I was really, really, really bullied in high school. Um, and that was hard. I, I mean, I, I don't think, I will never say ever a kid was asking for it, but it was a good target. Um, I was pretty nerdy. I was really quiet. I was not an emo, but I was a loner for sure. Um, and it was that loner nerd. And just in the back corner that there wouldn't have any friends. And the girls would come up and they would just like, they would mock me for like what I was wearing or what I was doing. And, and I didn't have any sense of what to wear, like what was cool. And I didn't have a lot of money. So like I shopped at Goodwill before it was cool. You know, like there was, hipsters did not exist at this spectrum of time. It was like 2008. So it's like, just cow. Just <laughs> and so like Goodwill was like, literally like where the poor people went to buy stuff for the clearance track or whatever and so I was about 15 16 years old and I really started to get a little bit more into fitness and I started to lose weight and I realized that was a number and that was an aspect of my life that I could completely control and so I became completely immersed and obsessed with restrictive diet and I would eat at this specific time and I would have this amount of calories and then I would go work out and um so I was anorexic I wasn't bulimic um 
but everything was, I mean, literally everything was regimented. And I would get up during the day and I was allowed to have, like, I mean, I, it was like to the number, I could have 200 calories. And then at lunch, I could have 300. And then for dinner, I could have 500. And it was just, everything was like compartmentalized into these little boxes of control. And I remember um, multiple times, like me passing out because I hadn't had enough calories. I was 16. Like I needed a lot more than a thousand calories a day. And I was working out excessively too. And I, um, so literally every part of my day was completely hovered around like food and how much I was taking in and how much I was burning. And I remember like, it was almost like this weird twisted internal game of like, how few calories can I eat today? Which was just so messed up. I remember like going to lunch one day and I had like a soup at hand. Those were like a thing in the 2000s. Like this microwave like soups that you could like drink. I don't know why we would, it was gross, but that was like 70 calories. And I had a sugar-free Jello and then I had a, like some cucumber and it was like, okay, good. Like I can keep it like this my whole lunch and it's like under a hundred calories. And I was like so proud of myself. It was awful. Um, but I just, I didn't really do anything to stop it. And I, I think mine was kind of a cry for help too. Like I, I desperately wanted to talk to somebody and I wanted to be seen, but then I didn't want to be seen. I thought like in a way, like the smaller I get, the more I can like disappear and then no one will see me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But then I wanted to be seen and I wanted someone to be like, hey, are you okay? Exactly. But then I didn't. <laughs> and it was like this like ebb and flow of like, I want to be seen. No, I don't. I want to disappear and never exist again. Like, and it was bad. But for some reason, it was like the more I could control my weight, the more I felt that I had some control in my life. And I remember my mom did notice like quite a bit. Um, I remember she got so like weird and upset with me because I when I first started dieting I think I was 130 something it was like four foot 11 so it was really short um and then I got down to like it was like 111 and my mom freaked out on me because I tried on a size two and it was too big she like mega freaked out on me and then um my senior year she really freaked out on me because I was like under 100 and went to go get a prom dress and like all of them were really big and I was proud of myself I was like oh look at me you know <laughs> but she was really like and she would talk to me about it but I would just be like I'm fine like you don't know anything like leave me alone and and it was weird because like she did see me but her the way she was approaching it like I felt more shame mm-hmm. and so it wasn't how I needed it was weird because I don't think there would be a perfect way to formulate of how I needed to be approached but, like, I wasn't ready to come to terms with it. I knew it existed, but I wasn't ready to acknowledge it. Right. Um, and that that was really scary and hard to just, like, kind of hold that in. Uh, so that was kind of, I don't know, I think excessive-wise, I mean, I would I would play way too many games with eating and not eating, well, really not eating. Um, and just living off of, like, the bare minimum of things. And when I was in college, I was very, very sick um, with a whole other gamut that wasn't related at all to the eating disorder. But I could, under the radar, hide the eating disorder more because I was so sick. I literally couldn't gain weight. I was that sick. I was, I mean, like, they thought I was going to die. And I, I should be dead. I shouldn't be alive. But I could hide my eating disorder under the radar with it because it was like, oh, well, like, 
you know, I can't gain weight. And then I, like, in this weird twist of way, I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is great because I can get down to, like, 90s and no one cares. And, and I did. I came home from my, uh, from one of the surgeries and I was, like, 89, 90 pounds. I was disgusting. <laughs> and that sounds, like, totally crazy, right? But if you're, like, you know, it's, an, it's a disorder. So, like, you know, it, it's not rational. So your mind's like, I don't care if I'm sick and, you yeah. know, almost dying, but I'm thin. Yeah. And, yeah, it sounds crazy, but that's how disorder, the disorder works. Yeah, exactly. And it's weird because even in the spectrum of thinking about, like, numbers-wise, even when you're not, like, you know, drastically, like, far from that, there's, I mean, that's, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Like, those little, little numbers mean so much when your mind's just not working right. Mm-hmm. So even if your weight went up, like, a half pound, you'd freak out. And you weren't like, it'll go down. Or like, who cares? It just, it was hard to kind of figure out. So, Morgan, when did you, what was kind of the moment in which you had the wake-up call or the revelation of like, I need help and how am I going to pursue help? Um, well, going off to college was really hard um, because I went to college far away from home, and uh, which is what I wanted, um, but I had no support. Um, you know, to an extent, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm there alone, learning how to be an adult. Um, school is stressful, and everything got worse when I went off to school. Like I said, I was like purging like almost every day. Um, all I did was work out, and you know, had my eating disorder, and then I'm trying to make good grades, and I was able to maintain those things my first year, and after that, I kind of just lost control completely. I was failing school. Um, I was so depressed. I had just pushed everyone out of my life, um, and it was really just me and my eating disorder, which spiraled everything, I mean, because that was the only voice I had, I heard, the only friend I had was my eating disorder, which didn't care about me, um, and I refer to it like it's a person, um, but she kind of was, it was like this other identity, per se, in your mm-hmm. mind, um, like a bully, yeah, yeah, you know, you'll never be good enough, like, what you should just hate yourself, and um, I couldn't see past that then. Um, but, you know, I, I pushed through that for four years. I had to take a semester off here, a semester off there. And finally, like, all my friends had graduated. I was still at school. Well, I think my, my closest friend was getting ready to graduate. Um, and I realized that I was just too exhausted. Like, I couldn't maintain this. And, you know, like I said, I'd always had that voice or, like, the sense of, like, I know that this isn't right, but I'm not sick enough. I'm not sick enough to have a disorder. I'm not sick enough to get help. I can do this by myself. And then I just finally realized, like, you can't. Like, I was, like, dying, essentially, slowly. I mean, it could have taken me 20 more years, but it was a miserable existence. Um, and I just was t- exhausted. That, that's what really what it was. I couldn't pursue my dreams. I found my career, like, my passion was to teach art, and I couldn't even finish school, and I so something was wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I went to my, my friend, um, She's my roommate, freshman year, we're really, really close now, um, and I told her, I was like, hey, I've been dealing with this since I was 16, um, and, you know, this is what catalyzed it, and this is where I'm at, and I need help, and I don't know what that means, but I'm ready to admit that I have a problem, and um, so I started seeking counseling, and, and the weird thing is, like, it's a really weird, like, process, right, so, like, the first step is to admit that I had a problem and I needed help. So then I was seeking help, and I was meeting with a nutritionist and a counselor. Um, and that's pretty much as far as I went for, like, the first year of my recovery. 
which was just like, I have a problem, but I'm managing okay, and I'm seeking help for it. But um, but my behaviors didn't really change. I wasn't really getting to the root of it. I was just like, kind of got okay with maintaining that like, yes, I have an eating disorder, but like I'm doing better than mm-hmm. I was. Um, and it wasn't until I came, I moved home. Callie and I reconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually at your birthday party that I had this, like, turnaround in my recovery because I had kind of been... Yes, the 25th birthday party. Yes. Yeah. I, I was... I had so, I found a counselor here. I had to leave school permanently and figure out, my, you know, myself. And, um, and I wasn't doing well at all. I was actually talking to my, my nutritionist about, like, going inpatient. And I had this party to go to and I really didn't want to go socially anxious but you know I was like hey it's Pally's party I'm gonna be there for her like and I made it somehow and I met these two strangers there I'd never met before in my life and they asked if they could pray for me because they had this sense that I had something going on they're like an illness and I was like well actually and I was like so desperate I was like I don't know these people but I mean why not so I told them I was like hey I've been dealing with an eating disorder since I was 16 and I'm like at the end of my rope and I'm totally lost and they prayed over me and they told me things that I nobody knew only I knew and they're like this is what I'm seeing and you God's going to turn this around for you you just have to step out of it um and that's the first time that I was like I can't I can't I don't feel totally Mm -hmm. hopeless about it um and so that's God met you there absolutely um, and in that prayer, the things they said made it absolutely clear that, like, that's what this was, that God was intervening because there was no other explanation for what happened that, that night. But, um, and so from that moment on, I, I kind of just believed that, like, mm-hmm. I have no choice. I either walk out of it or I walk back. And if I walk back, there's no future for me. Um, and so, um, it took several years, um, to understand, like, not just the behaviors, stopping the behaviors, but what's really at the root of my disorder. Yeah. Because it's really a coping mechanism more than anything. Um, so but, once you reach the root, you can acknowledge it, and it's like, oh, no, I see you for what you are, and so now I manage you. You don't manage me. Right, and that's, like, I think what's really helpful um, this has been my experience, and I think it's a lot of other people's experience that I've talked to who've dealt with, um, and, you know, have had an eating disorder, um, is, like, they have a voice. Your disorder has a voice. And so the biggest thing for me was distinguishing my voice from my ED's voice because my ED's voice is not kind to me, and I'm kind to me now. I've had to work on that really hard, but I've gotten to the point where I can distinguish, like, if my ED, like, speaks up, I'm like, no, you can sit back down because that's not me talking. And, um... And it's kind of a helpful tool in recovery is, like, you know, separating yourself from your eating disorder. For so long, we were one and the same, Mm -hmm. and that was, like, a lot of the worthlessness. And really, it was just my ED telling me that I was worthless, and Morgan knows that I'm not worthless. Um, And another important thing was that, like, I never – I was never, like, significantly underweight. I was kind of right in the middle for most of it. My weight was up and down in college. Um, a lot, which is also characteristic of bulimia. But um, that was another reason why I was like, didn't want to get help, was because I'm like, I'm not sick enough because I'm not underweight. Um, so I don't really have a disorder. I'm not as sick. Like, more people, other people need more help than me, and I don't deserve mm-hmm. help. 
um, which is false. A lot of people don't realize, it. honestly, it does, you can have bulimia, anorexia, any eating disorder, and honestly, the weight, it's a factor, but it's not the sole reason thing. It's like you can be any weight and have and be dealing with that and have... Weight is just a symptom. It's just a symptom, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's not... There's lots of other factors that can mean that you're suffering with an eating disorder, not just because you're thin or not thin. Exactly. Quote, unquote. Um, so uh, something else that was really difficult when I started recovery was telling all the people that I cared about because nobody, nobody knew. Um, my roommate, I mean, we shared a room and a bathroom for a whole year. Um, actually more. We lived together more than one year in college, and she was very angry with herself for not knowing. And that was hard to see because I didn't want her to feel that way. She shouldn't feel that way. There shouldn't be any guilt about that, um, you know, if you know someone with an eating disorder because the disorder wants to be a secret. That's how it thrives, is being a secret. Um, and that's part of, you know, the shame and the guilt. Um, and so, like, I did my best. I mean, I worked hard at keeping it a secret. Um, and you know, my parents feel the same way. Um, that was hard telling them. Um, but now it, it's really liberating to share my story. Like yeah. right now, this is so great. It's such a great opportunity to just be honest and be vulnerable. And being vulnerable is like the biggest thing in recovery. Yeah. We were kind of saying before this, this is like a victory banner for us both. So yeah. like, I mean, thinking about, I don't know if you feel the same way, but like if 17-year-old Callie 10 years ago were to walk in this room right now, dealing like, you know, with the eating disorder and I were to be like, this is what you're going to be doing in a decade, I'd be like, no, <laughs> I wouldn't believe it. And um, it's like a victory banner. Yeah, like I, I relate to you so much. I mean, I think for me, I, I was really sick in college. Um, and then I was also like dealing with this eating disorder at the same time. And um, when I started to get better and things started to improve health-wise, I, I was still letting my eating disorder just be louder than anything else. And I think, I think for me, there were so many things in my life I could not control. And so I felt like this was one thing I could control. And again, with the worthiness, like I didn't realize for years that that was the pinnacle of it, but I felt like people would like me and people would want to be my friend if I looked the way that like, you know, I should look or like what it was like so bullied in my head it was almost like those bullies in high school like were so loud and it's like it manifested and I got into this delusion that like people would love me and want me and like me and see me if I look like them or if I look the way that they wanted me to and then it it was just really diluted and um so I was later in college so around the same um age range and stuff and I went to some doctor and they were like running different tests and they were telling me a lot of the my body faced like a lot of um a lot of trauma from being sick but there was a ton of trauma to like my heart and other aspects of how my body should normally function and they were saying you know like if you continue on like this because they could tell what was going on like, I didn't even have to voice anything. It was, and, and so it got to it where, like, it would cause problems for me to have kids. And even though I'm not married now and I was, you know, 
<laughs> even further from marriage then, but um, kind of that like it woke me up that I was like, Callie, this is not just about you. You're not just affecting you. Like this is because I knew it, and I think you like you you can know something, but you can like choose not to acknowledge it. Yeah. Okay. And at that point, I had to like acknowledge it, and I was like, I I don't want to do anything that would literally cause my body to not be able to have like the function to later have kids because all I ever wanted and all I all I want to be is a mom like I just don't have like a bunch of cute little weirdos and you know little mini challenges <laughs> we're going amazing uh I don't know if the world can handle too many of them <laughs> but well, you know and and that it finally took it and I think the Lord knew if this is where like this truth bomb this revelation comes this is the one thing that will change her from like continuing down this path because I just I really want to be a mom and I really want to have kids and so it was just kind of like Kelly you need to stop because this is not just about you and so I remember just leaving that situation in the doctor's office and just going to my mom and being like hey I know you know it's obvious um but but I need I need your help to change I need to know how to get into a better flow of life and um ended up having a really honest talk with my cousin Bree. um she had dealt with an eating disorder as well oddly like so many people in my family have had eating disorders um and so it was really like eye-opening and like a blessing to be able to talk to her vulnerability about it and um just be honest and be like this is what's going on and she was like yeah I know and I'm like how did you know? And you're like, we all knew. And I'm like, oh gosh. So <laughs> that was a moment where you wanted to disappear again. And, and even my aunt, um, who I lived with for a while when I was living in Minnesota, like she had even come to me and she, and she, she was concerned. She was like talking to Brie, like you need to like, cause Brie and I were like sisters. And, um, she was like, you need to talk to Kelly. You need to like help her. Um, cause she's going through this. And I think my aunt had dealt with some issues too when she was younger. I'm not, you know, but, um, and so, for me, like, it was kind of, like, coming and bringing it out into the light and talking to other people and being a little more vulnerable and even as shy and timid as I am. Um, the Lord really brought me through a season of vulnerability um, and continues to do so, but but being honest with that. And then looking at, okay, what is, like, the actual, like, appropriate way to, like, function as a human being and, like, be okay. And so part of my recovery is, like, I don't weigh myself. Um, I don't use scales. Mm-hmm. That's not like a thing because it's not that like it's like ignorance is bliss but it's more like that scale doesn't get to control you anymore um and so, you know what's healthy for you and what's not yeah you exactly in recovery yeah and then making sure that like I meet or exceed the minimum calories a day yeah. like or when I go work out that I don't go overboard mm-hmm. that I don't just like go crazy and work out for three hours it's more like because I remember in college I would do that too like I remember I'd like would bike 30 miles a day on the like um stationary bikes which is nuts <laughs> um and it's miserable it is miserable it's awful you just like get used to like being miserable and yeah and so just and then learning that like working out can be fun it doesn't have to be a punishment to yourself it can be a thing that you do because it's like no I get to do this this is fun and and I think you know, like for me, 
I have been like five years really clean. Um, I did have a hard time over the summer, admittedly. But what was a blessing and what I want to kind of get into was just the support. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bree is somebody that I've talked to. And then Morgan and I, when we like reconnected and we actually like got to the point where I don't even remember. I just remember we were at Sweet Prof hanging out yeah. and talking. And like it came out that about eating disorders and, and having that accountability. And um over the summer, I had, I talked about in the last podcast, I had a really rough summer, and there was a lot of um, flickers that were, like, coming back of just, like, of what I, of falling into old habits, and I think it was, I think the enemy likes to catch us into old habits when we are hurting and don't feel control in life, um, and so for me, that was one of them, and it was just kind of like, no, 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 and um, I'm not, I'm choosing not to, like like you said like making the choice like I'm choosing not to fall back into this and so um I think I've been more intentional with like my eating and with um my working out that like I've been doing this thing and Lord just kind of put it on my heart but like I literally and, and I don't know if this is gonna sound corny but I for me it's like it's a it's it's real I literally invite the Lord in so like if I'm gonna go on a run because I run every day I'm like and not on the weekends, but I'm like, Lord, would you run with me today? Like, on the treadmill, would you come and run with me? Like, would you join alongside me so I'm not in this alone? Because when I would work out in the past when I was really mm-hmm. not okay with my eating disorder, that was all of my own, like, that was the flesh. Right. And so instead, like, being like, no, I need to take care of, like, you said this is my body's your temple, Lord, so I need to take care of it. So would you come, like, you enter into the temple and that makes it yours so would you come with me on the run? Um, I've been doing that with food, too, and that's, that's been helping. Like, And being okay that, like, I don't have to be a specific size or a specific – I don't even know what weight I am, which is good. It's, like, really freeing in a way, actually. Yeah. In my experience. It is. It's – yeah, like, I mean, like, I have no earthly idea. Um, but I think it's nice because you can be, like, healthier. Like, if you think about it, like, years ago – like, biblical times, they don't really know how much they weighed. Well, there's so much more to a person. Yeah. Like, it doesn't determine your health. It's, no. It's so much, you're so much more than a number, and you exactly. can focus on that more because yep. that number is full of anxiety for me. Yeah, and just, like, silencing it. And, and through a lot of, like, um, prayer and stuff, I really realized it was a worthiness thing with me, too. And I think getting to that root and, like, staring that in the face and saying, like, the reason you let this control you is because you didn't feel worthy enough. And so you... We're trying to figure out a way to somehow earn worth. Or if you couldn't get worth, then to disappear. And that was like, just being able to acknowledge that that was the word and that was like staring in the face. I was like, oh, well, then I shouldn't let that control me. Like, I need to, like, I don't know. It was, it was almost just like when you find out like, the monster under your bed, which is actually like this weird pile of socks that look like a weird shadow, you know? Yeah. And you're like, you're not that scary. Oh, okay. Ha. Huh. <laughs> so, and I think just the support, like, it's it's wonderful that I can text Morgan and be like, hey, I'm, I'm not doing great on this or be honest about it. And you're not going to judge me. You're not going to be like, Kelly. You know, you're, you're just like, how can I pray for you? How can I align with you? How can I love you? Absolutely. And it's like getting to be honest is so freeing and it's necessary mm-hmm. um, for 
for any kind of recovery or emotional healing, it's like that brings everything into light. Like eating disorder can't exist in the light. Yeah. So I, instead of being like, oh my gosh, I'm having these thoughts and I haven't had these thoughts in so long and getting all in my head and getting in a dark place about it, like, oh my gosh, I'm slipping up. I'm just like, hey, Callie, I'm having these thoughts today. And I don't like that I'm having these thoughts. And it's been really hard. And just to admit that out loud, like, helps so much. It's tremendous. And and to be able to talk to someone about it who who understands and how I know it's never going to be like, oh, my gosh, I don't get you. Why are you telling me this? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, you know, um, my boyfriend, we've been dating for two years. He's an incredible support. He knows everything about my eating disorder. And that's a huge help because, you know, we're very close, obviously. And it's great to be able to talk to him about that. But it's also great to be able to talk with someone who understands it. I mean, even Callie and I, like, when we, you and I talk about things, like, sometimes, like, you'll say something about your eating disorder, and I'm like, yes, I get that. Like, I remember having those thoughts, and, you know, I, I thought they were so bizarre. And the, they aren't rational, but to have someone else be like, yes, I've had that feeling, too, it makes it feel so less lonely. Yeah. Because recovery is a hard journey, and it's you don't want to do it alone. Exactly. And, you know, support, I have a lot of support in a lot of ways. You know, I have, my family knows they're supportive. Um, you know, find people that can support you. Um, I had professional help that, it's not that you can't do it without it, but it helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my therapist told me, like, so I've had times where, like, I thought I was, like, making all this progress, climbing the mountain, as you would say, and then all of a sudden I felt like I had been knocked down. And I was back where I was, like, six months ago, and that was hard for me, and I was scared. I was like, what if I never get back? And what she told me was like, you're riding a horse. And someone, something, I don't know what it was, but it came and knocked you off the horse. And the difference is, are you going to like let go? Like right now you're death grip on the side of this horse that's running. And you're either going to let go or you're going to climb back on the horse. And she said, so don't be discouraged because you're still holding on to the horse. And you've still got somewhere to go. Um, and... God's been a big part of that journey for me, too, um, because ever since that moment when I decided, like, yes, I'm going to recover, and God said, I'm with you 100% of the yeah. way, I have never stepped back. I've had this, like, to pause and mm-hmm. be like, dang, this is hard, and, like, do I have the energy to go forward? But it's great having that support. Exactly. Um, and I think, yeah, it's like leaning and pressing into something bigger than yourself and... and so, you know, leaning into God for support and then leaning on each other and just being honest. And it's it's wonderful when you can have somebody to talk to and you're like, hey, like, so I'm I'm slipping up a little bit or I'm, I'm pausing or I'm having I'm having like these thoughts, you know, that I know they're not me. They're not God. I know it's in me. I know it's even sort of trying to like get at me again um, and just kind of inviting help in where you can. And so. Um, I'm going to definitely put on, like, links for this podcast, too. Um, great places that if you are dealing with eating disorder that you can contact, and it can be as private or as open as you want. And um, I don't know. I, I think I think both of us would encourage, like, be honest and vulnerable um, and share it with people that you know you can trust. And if you don't have someone like that in your life, then, then these sites I'm going to put up, you know, are great help. And... Um, on this podcast channel too like you guys are always welcome to hit up the Instagram and for prayer or 
support. And just be vulnerable. Yeah. Like, put it out in the light, even if it's, like, on an online post. Like, being vulnerable is going to scare the crap out of you, but it's going to help you the most. Exactly. And once you do it enough, it's going to feel like fresh air that you haven't had for years. It's, it's amazing for you. Yeah. It's like a freedom. It's like the chains are broken, and you're not, like, those chains don't own you anymore. Mm-hmm. So, Morgan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for, today. Having me. Thank you for sharing your story. This has been great. Yeah, this is cool for me. I mean, I've shared it in books, but um, I've shared it to, like, you, but it's not something I talk about often. Um, but I love, too, that, like, where you and I both are, like, and continuously always being into recovery and, and walking into that, not alone. So, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Um, again, like, if there's any – if you are dealing with something um, similar to our stories or anything reminiscent, like – feel free to reach out into podcast channel um, for prayer and we'll do our best to to connect with somebody who can um, help there and be long-term support but have a great day